Salutations, Cake Nation, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today's sweet guest is my friend Rob Ulrich. He graduated with his bachelor's degree in chemistry and geosciences from Virginia Tech and recently earned his master's degree in geochemistry at the University of California, Los Angeles. He is currently pursuing his PhD in geochemistry at UCLA head-on, and his favorite cake flavor is German chocolate because it's amazing! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point! That's right, folks. There were three exclamation points in his response there, so it makes it just that much more amazing. Rob, we are super stoked to have you with us today. How have you been? I've been good. I've been recovering from the comprehensive exam stress, but oh I think I'm fully back. <laughs> That's exciting. What, what did you do to unwind? Uh, I went to Virginia for a week to spend it with my partner to like celebrate and stuff. That's exciting. Yay. Okay. Well, did you do anything fun? Were there beautiful autumn colors over there? I'm so, so I'm no, there were no, so ang- no, not yet. It's not until wow. like, I guess like if I had gone like now, it would have been probably beautiful and orange but nope not when i went oh my gosh so everything was still green i wonder Hmm. yeah i think things are starting to change (laughs) no virginia in the fall is beautiful it's one of the things i miss the most oh man i you know i think i've lived in southern california all my life and i think the closest thing to a color change in leaves is back home uh in santa clarita we have these really beautiful trees that like line the medians and the roads and they go from really bright green in the summer to really dark purple in the like autumn so it's really like oh that's a different color Hmm. okay yeah Yeah. i don't i I keep forgetting the name of this tree but it's beautiful so and then it has like lavender blossoms in the spring is it jacaranda maybe i think that's what it might be i'll have to look that up I never know. You need to awesome. interview a dendrologist. Ah, that would be so cool. That would be so cool. There's Maybe. probably some like photo or biochemistry in there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We just talk about photosynthesis all the time. That would be cool. Okay. So how does it feel to have your master's? It feels good. It feels validating. Because it's like a it's like a nice stepping stone and also just like a a little uh milestone along the way to the phd (laughs) oh phd folks like so much respect i like am hoping to apply to phd programs soon oh i forget wait you have your master's right no i am no you're working on your master's i'm working on my master's (gasps) yeah so hopefully by the end of this year i will have my master's (laughs) like (laughs) academic year not not like 2019 year no 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 that's too that's too soon oh man oh man okay so like shift gears just a little bit a little birdie told me that your favorite molecule is calcium carbonate and i wanted to ask why that was well because it's fascinating it's like everywhere it's in a ton of different animals and not just animals but other living things that make their shells or like any sort of exoskeleton so like lobsters corals algae um it's what makes up a lot of caves and like those stalagmites and stalactites um yeah it's every it's in some leaves of plants it's everywhere and it can tell us a lot of information about different environments and like what happened when that when it was forming and it's a it's like a book i don't 
<laughs> so would you say that calcium carbonate is ubiquitous? I would. I, I feel like that was an SAT word like back in the day, but now everybody knows it. So it's not an SAT word anymore. <laughs> it's certainly one of like the uh, publication buzzwords. I feel like it's like ubiquitous. It's everywhere. I know. Um, now it's like bad to use it because everyone uses it. Oh man. <laughs> we need to like find a, we need a new word. A new word for everywhere. Just check the thesaurus. Like what's the next after ubiquitous? Uh, I don't know. We can find that. We'll, we'll like send out a tweet and be like, what are alternatives for ubiquitous? And then have people tweet at us. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so you study geochemistry. I do, I do. You study geochemistry. And, and when I think of this word, um, if I were to parse it out, that would be geochemistry. I think of two, two definitions, right? Chemistry of land and then chemistry of shapes like geometry and chemistry anyway and so i have to ask what what is geochemistry i've never thought of shapes before that's a new one Um, (laughs) (laughs) chemistry but with shapes i mean isn't that essentially what chemistry is like we just draw hexagons yes yeah we have (laughs) it's just like dotted lines Um, but yeah, so geochemistry, I think of it more of like as chemistry of nature, because it's not even like the chemistry of the Earth specifically, because there are geoscientists that study other planets. Um, but I want to say of nature, because I don't even study um, the Earth, but I do study like different living things on hmm. Earth. So the chemistry of nature. Huh. Yeah, like how things work. Um, there's some geoscientists that like study trees and maybe okay. some people who are geoscientists don't consider them geoscientists. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what specifically do you study? So I study um, how different living things make exoskeletons or shells or just any sort of like calcium carbonate mineralized thing. And how the different ways that they do that affects the environmental information that they record when it's growing. So I guess like in the context of the lab I'm in right now, which is a climate science lab, the other half of my lab goes out and does field work and they dig up sediment from different regions. And in that sediment, they find things like foraminifera and other forms of calcium carbonate. So foraminifera are these uh, little microfossils. And so they bring them back to the lab. They crush them up, uh, they run them on our mass spectrometers, and our lab specifically measures the calcium carbonates for carbon isotopes, oxygen isotopes, and carbonate clumped isotopes, which are uh, heavy oxygen and heavy carbon isotopes bonded together in a carbonate molecule. And so when we measure that information, that information correlates with past environmental information. So uh, in our case, past temperatures. That in turn helps inform uh, climate models which then in turn um, help us forecast the future uh, and like what might be happening with climate change. Hmm. So the other people in my lab use essentially, so they use a tool and I am helping to improve the tool by making it more accurate and trying to narrow down these different processes and how they're affecting the signatures that they're uh, measuring. That was very long-winded, so you can ask all the questions. (laughs) Okay, so my first question is, am I allowed to ask what the tool is? Oh, I mean, the tool is the isotopes. I was just trying to, like... Oh, I see. Yeah, so 
they measure the, these isotopes to get the information of past climates. And so I'm helping make that tool more accurate by, by trying to determine how the biology of these things is affecting um, how they record the isotope signatures. Are you looking for certain isotopes like carbon-14 or carbon-13, oxygen-17? Oh, yeah. So we look at our lab looks at carbon-13, oxygen-18, and then the carbonate okay. clumped isotope, which is oh. a carbon-13 bonded to a car- or bonded to an oxygen-18 and a carbonate molecule. Okay. Oh, is, is there any particular reason why carbon-13 or oxygen-18? Because they're, uh, they're in calcium carbonate. And then, so what people use the carbon-14 for is when they are getting their microfossils from the sediment, they use the carbon-14 as a dating technique, which tells you approximately when, like what time period that uh, sample was from. And so when you take that information of time along with the oxygen-18 and slash or the clumped isotope measurement, then you can construct this profile of what the temperature like was um, through time. Whoa. So how how are you determining what the temperature was like with these isotopes? Hmm. I guess I'll start with the oxygen isotope. So when, uh, so foraminifera live in the ocean. And so when they're forming their shell, uh, they're pulling in dissolved inorganic carbon from the seawater and altering it in some ways, but mm-hmm. essentially they're pulling this the oxygen um, from that dissolved inorganic carbon, and then or carbon dioxide, sorry, and also uh, calcium ions from the seawater. And so, the seawater itself has a certain isotopic composition uh, that contains a certain amount of oxygen eighteen in it. And so, when the foraminifera forms, it records essentially that composition of the seawater at a given temperature, essentially um, the, the seawater is going to have a certain uh, oxygen 18 signature. And so as that changes, we see that change also in foraminifera shells along with other organism shells, but just in this instance, uh, just for this instance, uh, forams. I see. So, so when you say like at a certain temperature, the oxygen 18 has a certain signature, is that like being detected by yes. the mass spec or, oh, okay. So what kind of, mass yeah, spec we have a use? Thermo Fisher Matt 253. <laughs> oh, you, oh, that was a brand. So, okay. Okay. Brand. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so we use <laughs> we use a GCMS. Got it. <laughs> Sorry, perhaps I should have been like, what kind of mass spectrometry <laughs> do you do you utilize? But maybe I was a bit obtuse in my questioning. Okay, that's okay. Okay, so so gas chromatography yes, mass correct. spectrometry. So you're taking this mineral, yes, calcium carbonate, and turning it into a gas. Yeah, so for the sample input process, um, so we crush up the sample, and then before it gets put into the GC, we um, the sample input process involves digesting the sample in phosphoric acid, which um, turns wow. it into carbon dioxide. Hmm. Oh, okay, and, you're, and then you're 
um, analyzing for the oxygen and the carbon. Yeah, and then the carbonate clumped isotopes. Okay. 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 So, just to clarify, because uh, this is really interesting, um, you digest your calcium carbonate. It essentially turns into carbon dioxide. But you said that you're you're going for, you're going for um, carbon thirteen, oxygen eighteen, and the clumped isotopes. Yes. Right. How how are you analyzing for the clumped isotopes if it's all carbon dioxide? Yeah. So the clumped isotopes. Uh, so we're measuring the clumped isotopes in the carbon dioxide. If that makes sense. You'll have to elaborate. Yeah. So we're still measuring the carbon thirteen and the oxygen eighteen is bonded together for the clumped isotopes in the carbon dioxide, we're assuming that it's just like a random oxygen that's cutting off in that reaction with the phosphoric acid to go from carbonate, which is CO3, to carbon dioxide, which is CO2. But we still have a heavy carbon and a heavy oxygen in carbon dioxide. I see. I wish okay. I had a whiteboard. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the, I guess that's the, the one caveat of having an um, an audio podcast. Maybe one day we'll like move it over to YouTube and have like these cute little anima- animations that go with it. But oh, uh, oh my gosh, it'd be so cool, right? That'd be cute. And then like cakes everywhere. Anyway, anyway, a dare to dream, but um, for now, <laughs> we'll start a we'll vision board. Oh, yes. Um, okay, so I, I'm really interested. I'm really fascinated by these clumped isotopes. Why? Why is this fascinating in terms of like what what exactly is this clumped isotope? Is it just a bunch of carbon thirteens and oxygen eighteens together, or like what exactly is it? Yeah, so if you were to take a single um, carbon dioxide molecule, so you have two oxygens and one carbon. Right. So if there were no heavy heavy isotope substitutions of any kind. It would just be carbon-12 and then two oxygen-16s. When we measure for a carbon-13 signal, it's a carbon dioxide with one carbon-13 and two oxygen-16s. And then Mm -hmm. the same thing for oxygen, if we measure for oxygen-18, it's a carbon-12, an oxygen-18, and an oxygen-16. But for a clumped isotope, you have a carbon-13, at least the clumped isotopes that we are measuring right now, where you have carbon-13, an oxygen 18, and then an oxygen 16. So I, I would imagine because, you know, like the natural abundance of these isotopes is fairly low. Like I know for carbon 13, it's like 1.11% uh, the natural abundance of carbon. I, I know a little less about oxygen, but like, is has there ever been, well, perhaps, I'm not sure if you've analyzed for these, but uh, a carbon 13, an oxygen 18, and another oxygen 18, or like oxygen 18, oxygen 17? Yeah, there are. Um, we measure the one we measure, which um, the notation is capital delta 47, because it has a mass of mm-hmm. uh, 47. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can have a bunch of different isotopologues. So isotopologues are the same chemical formula, but different combinations of the isotopes. And you can get different clumped isotope combinations, like you're saying. So we measure the one that we measure because it has the highest abundance out of all of those different combinations. You answered my next question. I was going to ask, like, so why are you looking for this one specifically? (laughs) The abundance. We're trying to to expand uh, some of the other ones as 
the technology is improving for us to have a high enough resolution. Right, right. Yeah, I can I can imagine like being able to do to do these types of analyses with like very little. Yeah, I, I mean, like the, the one thing that I can think of is like carbon 13 NMR, right, where they have to decouple. Well, they have to decouple because carbon 13 also um, couples with HNMR and just like makes a mess. But <laughs> but like coupling with carbon 13 is very difficult because like you've got like one in every 111 carbons is going to be a carbon 13, like statistically or probability wise. And so it's just like, well, I mean, like, it's not that it doesn't couple. It's just that there aren't enough to couple. So yeah. So the signal's lower. Yeah. I don't miss OCAM. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't say that I do because I still do OCAM. I really do enjoy Yeah, don't you make moths? <laughs> I don't make moths. I make nanoparticles. <laughs> I'm sorry. My it's ignorance okay. is it's showing. Okay. Well, they are, they are different. Um, because t- t- typically, well, I don't, I don't want to say typically, but um, one would think in the lab that I'm in, the nanoparticles I make are metal oxides, which is actually not the case. I do make a metal, not, not a metal, well, metal-loaded organic polymeric uh, nanoparticle and so like i can make this this nanoparticle without the metals and just organic which is like a lot of dopamine this polydopamine many dopamines super dope anyway um i've digressed wow <laughs> i digress. oh man yeah the chemistry i've uh shifted to post classroom labs has mm-hmm. become more simple but yeah, I think it's because I'm. I feel like the difference is that you your goal is to synthesize things, and then my goal is to figure out how nature is synthesizing yeah. things. Yeah, <laughs> I'm also trying to figure out how nature synthesizes things, but it's different, right? Because like polydopamine is a melanin mimic, and so we're just like, how does nature make melanin? How do we make polydopamine? We do not know. Let us find out. Let's do the science. And then we do this. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's really wonderful. It's quite, it's quite wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's super cool. So we talked about, you know, you, you study how nature makes these molecules. Um, so can you tell me a little more about why this is interesting to you? Like you said that it was ubiquitous. Well, you said it was everywhere. I said that it was ubiquitous, but like, what, what was the draw? <laughs> I just love nature. And I think nature is one of the most fascinating things. And I believe nature is probably mm-hmm. is the best engineer. And so I think it's fascinating to try to untangle these different, just like how these living things are doing this. Like, I just want to know how it works. <laughs> um, and then maybe eventually, um, It'll, because I like making things too, which I haven't, it's, it's like a thing I haven't really, an itch I haven't scratched in a very long time. Like I do love synthesis and chemistry. So I think at maybe at one point I'll maybe try to make the move from trying to figure out how these things are making this mineral and shifting towards mm-hmm. like biomimetic stuff where I'm trying, to, I'm trying to mimic that in a lab for applied purposes, I guess. Maybe I can do both. Maybe I can do it I, all. I, Who knows? <laughs> totally, I believe in you. You can do it. I'm hype you up. Hype you up. I'm dabbing for those that can't see me right now. <laughs> Aggressively dabbing. Hype, hype um, train. 
No, I felt it. I felt the vibrations. <laughs> oh, yes. They're asymmetrical because they have more energy. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's my new tagline now. It's just like sending all of the asymmetrical vibrations because they have more energy. Wow. I'm a nerd. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, Aren't we all nerds it. here? We're just a group of people who really enjoy science. And like, if that's what makes us nerds, then fine. I will own it. This is super cool. So, okay. We talked about geochemistry. We talked about biomineralization because calcium carbonate um, and isotopes, which are super cool. But I did want to shift our attention a little bit to something that you co-founded and were on leadership for, which is Queers in STEM. Can you tell us a little more about this organization? Yeah. So one of the big reasons I decided to come to uh, UCLA for my uh, PhD was that uh, I really wanted to be in a city that had a culture and like space for LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. people because I didn't really like although my departments were welcoming back at Virginia Tech it was still in it was still located in a small town in mm-hmm. Southwest Virginia so outside not the most like welcoming but but even still even though it was like a safe environment it was kind of disheartening to see that I was the only queer person in my geosciences mm-hmm. department, at least at the undergrad level. Um, I eventually, like when I started doing undergrad research in the department, I find I ended up finding out that um, some of the graduate students I was interacting with shared mm-hmm. some identities with me, which was really great to know. And it made me feel like more at home and more comfortable, like working with them, and we could be like friends and also like coworkers, yeah. which was really nice. Yeah. So queers and stuff. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So when I came to LA, uh, I was like, if there's going to be like a, a like queer and trans like sort of group at like for STEM, it's going to be at UCLA because like the LGBT Campus Resource Center here is supposed to be like one of the best in the country. And it's supposed to be a very safe space mm-hmm. for people. But when I went to like the resource fair, there was nothing there. But luckily, when I emailed uh, the resource center, they like connected me with some other people who had brought mm-hmm. up the same concern. And so we made, we started meeting up mm-hmm. in 2017, and uh, we officially established Queers and STEM in 2018. So yeah, that's so exciting! <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Oh, that's really sweet. Like, I really, really, really appreciate the initiative and proactivity to to start an organization like to see a need and then act on it because like I think that's I think that's a really great way of of one you know moving forward as you know as a community and a society but also you know uh to edify your village right like there's a village there there's you know uh, this vibrant community of scientists regardless of background but for now focus focusing on you know the queer folks um queers and trans and it's uh it's really sweet to know that you know you want to foster this community for them to let them be seen and heard which is great that's definitely something that like i know my department especially one of the committee members for the um, equity diversity and inclusion committee um in our the physical sciences division she, like she is like 
spearheading this and like really working to make this an, an inclusive and, and welcoming space. And I'm just like, I, I am so thankful and grateful, like the effort, just, just the effort in itself, like I'm so thankful for, but the fact that it's also like a very active effort um, and to see so many faculty and so many students get on board with it is, is a really wonderful thing to see. So I'm really glad that that's a thing. So it's going super <laughs> Me cool. Me too. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And then I also, I also sort of felt the responsibility to be, um, to like, un, like undertake that labor. And I don't want this to sound like virtue signaling, signaling at all, but I want to, I think it's more of like demonstrating a way to be a good yeah. ally in a sort of intersectional yeah. way. That's really sweet. Oh, Rob. Ah, my heart is so full. Ah. <laughs> oh, so great such a great time chatting with you this is all super cool and and you know we are we are nearing um, the end of our chat so thank you so much thank you so oh, no. much i know i know <laughs> oh man but thank you so much for joining me today it was so so wonderful to have you this has been so fun um and you know to the listeners at home thank you for joining us today we hope you learned something fun and cool and uh geochemical with this new episode um this is so cool so if you would like to follow the many biomineral adventures of rob ulrich you can follow him on twitter at robert and ulrich you can also visit his website at robert and ulrich dot com both will be linked in the description <laughs> and you know it's with a C-H, not a C-K. <laughs> with a C-H, not a C-K. Um, you <laughs> and y'all know you can follow me on Twitter at ChemistryCake if you would like an extra dose of hype. Uh, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram at ChemistryCakeOnline. It really is so, so wonderful getting to serve as the Cake Nation's hype person. And so with that... We will close. Um, this is your friendly reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify your village. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off. Mm.